Two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I overheard a, I'll call it a spiritual conversation uh, between two people. As with many things in my life, this happened at Starbucks. Not only do I work there, but at times God gives me some thoughts that um, give me direction at times about what to speak about. And so this conversation certainly piqued my interest. I was close enough to listen without obviously eavesdropping. And at one point, and these two women were talking about things of God, they were talking about things of faith. The one person said to the other, you know, I think the church needs to drop this notion of original sin. And I thought, wow, that kind of piqued my interest. This person had identified herself as a healer. And I assume that she considered the concept of inherent, or you might say universal sinfulness, as counterproductive in terms of our own health or well-being. That perhaps if we told people they were inherently good, they would view themselves that way and perhaps act that way. But as I thought about that, uh, the reality is so clear to me that our struggles are not the result of a doctrine that we may or people may not hold or believe. We struggle because we are flawed people. The challenges in our life, whether we are children of God or whether they are people outside of church, that struggle the Bible simply calls sin. I am a flawed man. And reworking or rephrasing or eliminating my doctrine is not going to solve that issue. My doctrine is not flawed. I am. A writer put it this way. Certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. Now, I don't know if he wrote that with a bit of a smirk. There is much about our faith that we need to accept by faith. But he would say original sin is like, look in the mirror, Doug. It's really not a difficult concept to say, yeah, you know what? I have my imperfections. Now, it's interesting that writer said certain new theologians, but he actually wrote that about 100 years ago. I do see in my life, I do see in the life of other people, even with those outside of church, outside of faith, I do see that which is good. I do not want to pretend that we are incredibly evil people. Because I believe there is so much goodness that God has actually poured into us. We are his creation. And I see, I think, when I look at my own grandchildren, I see in my grandchildren that which is beautiful. Uh, just amazing gift of life that comes from God himself. I see in my own grandchildren that which is innocent. 
They are just innocent, beautiful little people. But I also see in my grandchildren sin. That seems a bit harsh to say that. A few weeks ago, one of our family was over with his son and his wife and their two children. And his uh, two-year-old son happened to find the little bag of goldfish. Is that what they're called? Crackers? In the cupboard. And he ate a considerable number of goldfish, at which point his mom said, you know what, we haven't had supper yet. We're going to put the goldfish away. Just leave them there no more. And so we went on back to our visiting as a family, and all of a sudden somebody said, where's, where's Arlo? And so we, we actually began a little search of the house because we could not find him. But he had found a hiding place, and he had found the bag of goldfish. And he was quietly eating them. We attribute names to sort of children's, I'll call them stages of development. Some of the names we attach to those stages are not particularly flattering. We phrase these as developmental stages, which I think is certainly partly true. But I would say all these stages have a way of revealing a tendency to challenge, to test boundaries, to kind of do things our own way, and at times to outright disobey. But long after conversations about developmental stages should have run their course, most of us, if not all of us, even as adults, can point to bad decisions, impure thoughts, and deliberate actions that we knew to be wrong. At times with painful consequences. The Bible would maybe say, you know what, it's about people just sort of deciding to go their own way. And I think that pretty much describes our culture. That in many ways, people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And on a personal level, and I believe on a societal level, we are trying to deal with the difficult consequences of that mentality. There are so many experiences, there are so many temptations available or even offered to what seems to me to be younger and younger children, sometimes phrased in language of freedom of expression or self-awareness that in practice cause confusion. The Bible talks about There's a wide path, and often when I think about our culture, I would say that path seems to be getting wider. It's enticing. 
Bible says its end is destructive and its end is destruction. Sin is real. It's a reflection of rebellion. It's a reflection at times of disobedience and sin messes up our lives. The Bible says there's a better way. It's a narrow path, but it leads to life. It leads to life eternal, and the author of this path is God himself, creator of heaven and earth, creator of life, and he offers it to us through Jesus Christ. Back to that Starbucks conversation. As one of those people had sort of denounced this notion of original, or you might want to call it universal sin, the other person then suggested that we also needed, and they're talking, this is a spiritual conversation in which God is involved, in which church is involved. She said we need to get rid of this notion of the virgin birth. And I thought, wow, here in the space of about two minutes, these two spiritually-minded people had succeeded in making the gospel pretty much irrelevant. If I'm not really to think of myself as a sinner, if I'm not supposed to believe that Jesus was truly the Son of God, pretty much the gospel. These two people, I would say, were reconstructing faith. Reconstructing it in a way that was probably more comfortable to them. A softer, let's call it maybe more believable narrative a sense of faith where faith in things unseen or faith in things beyond our comprehension are simply removed and replaced by what I can only call the spiritual thoughts or ideas of man. Margaret Baxter sent me a link uh, some research done, it was in, I think, the McLean's Magazine. I sent it to many of you through the church email. That reconstruction of faith is well underway in many churches within our country. And that article in McLean's, I think, was so powerful. I don't think it was written by a Christian or an evangelical or a born-again believer. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I'm guessing that it maybe wasn't. Yet statistics and research shows that if churches allow or even invite culture to help shape belief, it does not make faith or church relevant. It makes it unnecessary. 
Those churches that hold to things that we have to accept by faith alone are growing. Those that seek to put those things aside are closing their doors. I have to say I I understand that. If the church begins to sound like culture, then the church has actually lost its message, it's lost its power. So I thought about that conversation and I thought about this idea, this notion, this truth of our sinful condition. And I thought about the incredible mystery of the birth of Jesus. I thought about how closely the two are linked. That the truth of one of those things, my sinfulness, demanded the gift of the other. The birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus, God in human form, is a profound reminder every Christmas that Jesus was born not of man, but of God. Unlike us, Jesus' DNA was not flawed. His DNA reflected the perfection of God himself. The Bible says we're not able to stand in the presence of a perfect God. That we cannot handle it, and our sin is the cause. And the birth of Jesus, Son of the living God, is God's great gift to all who choose to put their faith in him. It's an invitation to come into the very presence of God to become his sons and his daughters through the perfection and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. I might call it the great gift exchange. I confess my sinfulness and I leave it at the cross. And in return... I put on the righteousness of Jesus. Doesn't mean I suddenly become perfect. I would say everybody in this church knows from their personal experience that that is not true. But I do become forgiven. I do become a child of the living God. Welcome to come into his very presence. Say, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our human life, our human DNA, with all its flaws, continues to unfold in a human journey that we all are walking with all of its ethical struggles, its uh, battles at times with right and wrong, its battles at times with obedience or disobedience, 
but it is now a journey I walk with the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus refers to as experiencing rebirth. It's what it means to be born again. When Jesus talked about being born again, the man he was talking to kind of took it literally and said, well, Jesus, I don't think that's possible. Jesus said to him, I'm not talking about being reborn as a human. I'm talking about spiritually being reborn. John 3, verse 6 and 7, in that conversation, Jesus said this, humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit, who gave birth to Mary, is the one that gives birth to spiritual life, in you and me. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. We need to, as children of God, accept by faith those things we cannot fathom. We need to accept by faith those things that we find difficult to explain because they are at the heart of the gospel. The conversation in Starbucks is probably a fairly common one that many people dig in their heels when we talk about Jesus and the cross and our own sinfulness. They might say, give me better proof. Give me kind of a clearer explanation of how this thing actually worked. And I think Jesus and the New Testament would say, what you need is not necessarily more proof. What you need is faith. A reasoned response to the gift of God. I would say this rebirth comes with amazing benefits. We begin to walk through life filled with the presence of the living God. We get to live life and see past those things which are temporal, past those things which are physical, and we actually are freed by the Spirit of God to look into things that are eternal, things that are going to last forever. Our physical bodies are going to decay. They're going to pass away. But the DNA of our spiritual rebirth has eternity stamped on it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says this. Paul says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, and Paul is looking to what I'll call the great hope that lies within the heart of every child of God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living Word of God.
What I think sometimes about the uh, story of God's creation, of God creating man and women, that we were actually created to participate in eternity with God who himself is eternal. And it remains that great hope that we look forward to as children of God that death will not be the end of who we are. It'll simply usher us into eternity. story about Christmas is about birth, the story of incredible virgin birth of the Son of God. Christmas story really, though, for you and me is about rebirth. The life we live that we live physically, I believe, is a gift of God. But even greater is the life that we are given spiritually, which is also a gift of God. The birth of Jesus demonstrates God's heart for everything he created. And I find it interesting that it was predicted in great detail 500 years earlier. It's amazing when you read parts of Isaiah and the Old Testament the detail that was predicted about the birth, not only the birth, but the life, death, and suffering of Jesus. 500 years before he even walked upon this earth. It's a story that has transformed people's lives for over 2,000 years. And it continues to be a story with an incredible message of hope. And as a church... We must not mess with this message. We must proclaim it. So what God calls us to do as his people, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today I want to say it remains an invitation to consider the reality of God who is not only active, but a God who continues to actively pursue his creation, inviting them to himself through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.20 says this, and it's such sort of a, in a way, an ordinary picture of an extraordinary truth. Look, I stand at the door and knock. It's God speaking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in, and we will share a meal together. 2016, almost 2017, and that invitation still stands. And this Christmas, if you already embrace that truth and say, Doug, I'm all in, I embrace what you're talking about, I encourage you to rejoice anew in who you are as a child of God, as a son, as a daughter. And I would say if you're on the outside kind of looking in or listening, 
I encourage you this Christmas to listen to the voice inside you that might say, what if all of this is true? And this Christmas, I encourage you to listen to that voice. That voice is the voice of the Spirit of God. It could be a Christmas that you would remember in a special way for the rest of your life. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back. and Warren, there's probably time, I think, for us to do a couple of songs if you want to repeat Emmanuel or any others. That would be beautiful. I just want to pray, and then we'll, we'll sing a few songs. Heavenly Father, uh, in a way sometimes it's, uh, it's easy to look at Christmas and view this uh, such a supernatural, incredible story and kind of think of it in human, human eyes and in human ways. Uh, Father, would you speak into our hearts and our minds about the unbelievable power of the gospel of the birth of Jesus. That Jesus left his home in glory, was willing to suffer and sacrifice, live as a human in order to set us free. And so, Father, this Christmas, as we think about that incredible gift, would you speak into our hearts and minds? Would you make that fresh to us in a way that maybe it hasn't felt for a while? And, Father... Would you continue to draw people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this Christmas? Get in Jesus' name. Amen.